Revelation chapter 3 and verses 7. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. Revelation 3, verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. But thou hast a little strength, hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So, we'll look at some characteristics of this, this Lord's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word tonight. We thank you that uh, you do love us, you do care about us. Thank you for your blessings that we can consider and contemplate, think upon, and realize your goodness, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, I pray as we look into the word of God tonight and look at these few verses. I pray that you would encourage our hearts Strengthen us, we do pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there are seven, of course, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. You know, these were all churches that I believe existed uh, during this time period. Some of them had been started by the Apostle Paul and some of them by others, but they were all uh, churches that the Lord sent letters to, had pastors under the angel of the church, that's first to the messenger of the, past, uh, the church, which is the pastor, and, and they had characteristics of things that were, some were good and some weren't. You know, typical of churches today. And, uh, but these were churches, all the Lord's churches. But anyway, as we consider this tonight, I want to notice some characteristics here of this church that are uh, commended of the Lord. And descriptive, it is descriptive really that they are of the Lord because they are characteristics of the Lord that he's saying should be evident in a church. You know, our churches are to be, the head of our churches is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. The head is the center, or the, the thought center, uh, the, and really the action center of life. Uh, as a man thinketh in his heart, Proverbs said, so is he. You know, our thoughts determine our actions. However we think determines our actions. And so as we think about these characteristics, again, they're characteristics of the Lord that they should be evident in a church. And first of all, the idea or the characteristic of brotherly love. In verse 7 again, And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now the word Philadelphia or the name means brotherly love. Now, I'm not sure if Philadelphia and Pennsylvania would be characterized by brotherly love, but it does have the name. Uh, maybe one day it did, I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't recommend driving downtown in that place right now. But anyway... But the, the name Philadelphia does mean brotherly love. And this should be a characteristic of the church because it's a character that's commanded by God, was given evidence to by the Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, during his earthly ministry and, of course, giving his life for us. 
And as he's preparing to leave his disciples and meeting with them in John chapter 13, he gives them this commandment. He says in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, again, love is a very misunderstood character trait in our world, in our society. Um, <clears throat> you know, love doesn't mean love doesn't mean you get whatever you want or or you give a person whatever they want. Uh, love does what is right by someone. And sometimes the right thing you can do for your child is spank it. He that loveth his child chasteneth him betimes. You know, sometimes the right thing for the Lord to do to us is chasten us. Sometimes the right thing for us to say to people is no. Is no. So, you know, it, it is doing what is right by someone else. And of course, this is described, you know, it, it is a, it, it is not, it is without, it is to be without hypocrisy or without preferential treatment. In uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says, Let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means without hypocrisy, without preference. In other words, without respect of persons. And of course, we know that, that the Lord Jesus and God himself is no respecter of persons. You know, what he will do for one, he will do for other, for another. And how he chasten one, he will chase another. You know, one of the things that the world likes to bring up, and Brother Hoyle Branson brought this out in, I think it was you who brought this out in Sunday school class, about how the world talks about how evil the children of Israel were for driving out and destroying all the nations of Canaan. Because God commanded it. What they don't think about is how God drove out the children of Israel because they committed the same sins. See, God's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. And the reason we have trouble in the Middle East is because Israel fell into the same sins of the people that were there before them, and God drove them out. And for, you know, a thousand or two thousand years almost, they were out of the land. They, and for longer than that, they were without control of the land. Even though they lived there, they weren't in control. From the time that King Nebuchadnezzar took them captive, and there were still some Israelites in the land, and some were allowed to go back at certain times, they were still under Gentile control and power. You see, so he says, let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. You know, how you treat one person is how you should treat, in love, of course, is how you should treat everybody. Um, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. It says... Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. 
So as to be pure, that is genuine. The, the word feign means to put on an act. So it shouldn't be just an act to get attention or an act to get what you want. It should be genuine, real, right. Your love without right is not true love, not biblical love. If you, if you read 1 John, you know, 1 John, John is considered the apostle of love, but one of the things he, he emphasized over and over is the truth, walk in the truth, walk in the truth, walk in the truth. And so, so there needs to be truth. Uh, it's to be fervent. It's not to be, and, and it says love with a pure heart, fervently, uh, you know, with, with some zeal. Uh, again, seriousness. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So love is not to affect just our words, it's to affect our actions. How we respond, how we react. And, and, and it is, love is, love is sacrificial in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> there's a lengthy description. And it says, charity, verse 4, suffereth long. It is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, so it doesn't, it doesn't uh, promote itself, um, it seeks another's welfare, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. You know, don't think evil, don't think people have evil intentions against you unless you know the facts. You give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, this is you know, one of the things that, that I, I read quite often in, in marriage counseling books and marriage books is give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Because doubt. You know, you, you, your spouse may say something and, and you, you get to mull it around in your mind. What did she think about it? What, what, does, what did she mean by that? Take it for what she said. Take it for what he said. And no more. If you have a question, ask. You know, don't think evil of one another. Uh, give each other the benefit of the doubt. And this is, of course, for everybody. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And again, giving the benefit of the doubt. So it is, it is self-sacrificial. It is giving uh, of time, of, of possessions, of labors. You know, love is shown by obedience, by right actions toward God and men. You know, Jesus said in John 14, 21, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. In Luke six forty six, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And so, there needs to be brotherly love. This, is, this, again, is a characteristic of the Lord that he demonstrated, and it ought to be characteristic of his church and the members thereof. The second thing that he speaks of, these saith he, verse 7 again of, of Revelation 3, under the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these say, things saith he that is holy and he that is true. Holiness. Your God is holy. Holy. You know, I realize we're living in an age, you know, as I was jotting down some things. Um, you know, we're going to put some things on the website. And, and so I was, was talking to my wife here some time ago about 
you know, what's some things we ought to put on the white, our website about our church that maybe is different? Not that we want to be different, but we are different than most churches. Um, and one of those things is we still hold to the whole counsel of God. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't, uh, you know, just, and of course, you know, and I, I was, as I was thinking about all this, you know, expository preaching, which is you take a, a passage of scripture and you preach the, the, the context, the historical context and make application for the day and, and you preach the whole counsel of God. So there's, there's nothing that's not spoken of. You know, there are some passages of scripture that the modern day church avoids like it's a plague. Because it addresses issues that are hot topics in society. And again, that's, that's showing respect to men. You know, they do this out of fear of men. It's showing respect to men. God doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, God is holy. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And this holiness transcends time and culture. You know, in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26, Leviticus 20 and verse 26 says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. And, and so he was speaking here to the children of Israel. He said, I want you to be different from the nations that are in the land now. I want you to be different than the Egyptians from which you came. Ye are mine. And so you need to demonstrate your mind because I am holy, therefore ye are to be holy. And of course, in a New Testament counterpart to that is First Peter chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen, where in verse well, let's drop up to verse fourteen. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, so not like your old world, world lifestyle, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, for all manner of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So again, you know, this holiness transcends time and culture. God doesn't change. God has not changed. And we are to be distinct from the world. Uh, we are chosen out of the world. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So we're not to be conformed or molded to the pattern of the world. The world should not dictate our beliefs, our actions, uh, our lifestyles, uh, you know, where we go, how, you know, people say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't dress. Yes, it dresses everything, including dress. All these things are addressed in the scripture if we're willing to search them out. Uh, no, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, and, and so that gives the idea, again, if your mind needs remo- renewed, that means it's corrupted. It needs changed from this world. So, so we're to be different, and we ought to be willing to do be different because we are the Lord's. We don't belong. You know, think about it. 
we're in the kingdom of God and the world is in the kingdom of Satan. And so we should live differently because those two are, are diametrically opposed to each other. They're totally opposite. So doesn't it make sense we should live different than the world does? You know, our devotion should be different. Our devotion. Or who we follow. Or where, who, who we seek after. You know, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, or chapter 11, verse 10. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. And this needs to be our attitude about the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 11, verse 10, the Bible says this. I'm in 2 Chronicles. Something don't look right here. Excuse me, I'll be here in a minute. 1 Chronicles 11 and verse 10, it says this. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. So these men had one devotion in mind. That was to make David king. That's 1 Chronicles 11, verse 10. That was what they were devoted to, to make David king. You know what? We serve one greater than David. And we ought to make him preeminent, the king, the one who governs, the one who directs our life. Our, our, our devotion should be that we make him king of our life, king of our home. You know, king of everything, every, over every area of our life. The one who governs, the one who is the Lord. He is the Lord. So, so he ought to be Lord and master. You know, Paul said this, you know, Paul had this in mind when he said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. See, to make him the one who governs our life, I've got to deny myself. Paul said, I'm going to be made, try and make myself conformable unto his death. In other words, I'm going to try to die to myself and be like my Lord. Follow him. Uh, Galatians 6.14, he said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom uh, I am crucified unto the world and the world unto me. And so there ought to be this, there ought to be the, we, we need this holiness that we make him the one who governs and controls and leads in our life. And then I'm going to notice a third thing here in verse 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy and he that is True. True. <clears throat> now, we are bombarded today, in today's world, with lies. I mean, they're everywhere. Who can you believe? You know, sometimes I even read things that come from supposedly conservative side, and I go, hmm. You know, are they really telling the truth? You know, we, we look at we look at you know 
certain you know politicians who say they're in one camp and yet they talk like they're in another camp and then they'll talk like they're in that camp and then they'll talk like they're in another camp and you wonder if they ever tell the truth or if they know the difference between the truth you know there's so many lies that are that are going around by the way that's just not in politics Think of how many pulpits across the world in America today who they don't teach the truth of the word of God. They're giving false gospel. You know, it could be baptismal regeneration or easy believism, salvation without repentance, or, you know, it's a multitude of things or ways that people promote and pastors, quote-unquote, promote that a person can be saved. But, no, he is true. He is true. You know, and John, again, I said earlier, John speaks a lot to this. In John 1 and verse 9, Speaking about Christ, John the Baptist says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse 14, again, he says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of his only begotten, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So he is truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we are to hear and listen to the truth. In John 18 and verse 37, John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I want you to think about that statement. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, They went out from us, but they went out they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Oh, you know the truth. Again, John eighteen thirty seven. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You know what I have discovered after being in the ministry just a few years? Uh, is that people, this is, this is my, my opinion, people that are really saved, if they're confronted with the truth, they'll submit to it. They'll submit to it. People that aren't saved, they don't care. It's their agenda. It's how whatever they think. It's their opinion. And they won't submit to the truth. You see, 
are we hearing the truth? Are we heeding the truth? You know, he is the author of truth. He's a contrast to all that is false. You know, John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. You know, the psalmist said uh, concerning the Lord in Psalm 119, verse 128. Psalm 119, verse 128. He said this, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Is he saying like, everything that God speaks to is true? It's right. It's right. You know, he is the true Savior. He's not the hireling. He is the true vine. He is the true one. He is completely true. Uh, and the, the, Lord, the world should see the truth in us. They should see the truth in us. Because the Lord is true. Then I want you to notice a fourth thing. He is, or He has, He is the judge, or He has the prerogative. In other words, He has the final say. Look at, look at again at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So he, he, he's the one that opens, and no man can shut it, and he's the one that can shut, and no man can open it. Now what does that mean? Well, he's talking about here, the, he refers to the key of David. Now go to Isaiah 22 for just a moment. Isaiah 22 and verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> Isaiah 22, 21 and 22. And, it's, and this, is, this is where that reference comes from. Isaiah 22, 21 says, And I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I believe this is a reference to Christ. And notice it in verse 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. What's Isaiah 9, 6 say? The government shall be upon his shoulder. Okay? So I will lay that upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. So we're talking here about, when we're talking about the key of David, we're talking about the kingdom getting into the, getting into the and he's referring here to the kingdom of David, but the kingdom of David in the future is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greater David. He's the, he's the one that's going to sit on David's throne. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. And when he says he has the key of David, in other words, he can shut one out or forbid one from entering into the kingdom of God or he can put one into the kingdom of God and no man can get you out of it. Contrary to what the Roman Catholic Church says. They don't have that power. Only Jesus does. He has the key to the kingdom of David. He is the key that opens us to us the entrance into the kingdom of God. 
You know, and of course he said, you know, in John chapter 3, as he was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he goes on then in that chapter and defines how you enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not in the Son of the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he believed not in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So this is how you this is the entrance into the kingdom of God is to believe in the Son. Verse thirty six says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son of God shall not so leave, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And of course we know that Colossians tells us he's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Through redemption, through his blood. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ that has the keys to the kingdom of God. And he opens it. What did he say in John chapter 6? Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Now, he it is that holds the power whether you'll be received in or not. whether you obey, hear, and heed his word or not. It's not a list of I do's to get into the kingdom of God. It's a matter of the heart. You know, what do you tell Samuel in 1 Samuel 16? Man looketh on the outward appearance. You know, we judge from outward appearances. That's how we judge. We can't really, we can't really see a man's heart. We, we make judgments upon people's hearts by what we see them do. That's the only thing we see. But God knows the heart. God knows the intents, the thoughts and intents of your heart. And, and so, you know, Romans 10.9 says that, if we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. For with the heart, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. You, know, you can make a confession or a profession, but if the heart's not changed, that's all it is. You know, there were many during the days of Constantine and the Roman persecution that joined the church. I mean, if you get a fifty a, a gold coin and you got baptized, you can get in. But were they received by the Lord Jesus Christ? Not if there wasn't a heart change. Not if there wasn't repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of will. You see, it's, God is the judge of this. We have to come to God 
God's way. You know, this idea that all religions basically come the same way to God, the same God is just not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It, Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name given unto heaven where, among men, whereby we must be saved. See, Christ is the only way, and, and the, the way we have to come is, we have to acknowledge him for who he is. He's just not another good man or a prophet to add to our list that we believe in or follow. He's the Lord to whom we surrender our heart, our will. That's really what repentance is. You know, you think, of, I, was, I was reading this week, I'm, I'm in the Gospel of Luke in my Bible reading. I go to Luke chapter 3, and this, this thought stuck out to me. And it, and it shows a change of attitude or change of heart of those who had repented and John baptized. In Luke chapter 3, it says in verse 3, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to him to be baptized, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for say unto you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees, and every tree that therefore that which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, not the multitude, the people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now what is that? You might be able to sum that up by this. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as self. The way you demonstrate the love of God, or a changed heart, is you love your brother. You see, the multitude, when he talks about the multitude, of course, in Matthew, Matthew says the Pharisees came to him. And he called them vipers. And asked this question. You know, and told him, you know, don't say you have Abraham to your father. Abraham can't save you. That's what he's saying. Abraham can't save you. And if Abraham were your father, you'd believe on what I'm saying. That's what Jesus told him. So, but, you see, these other people are starting to ask questions saying, well, what is evidence? How do we demonstrate a change of heart? What do you mean by that? And, and, and so... And so he's telling them, and notice in verse 12, and I think it makes it clear, Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, 
what shall we do? Now, the publicans were the tax collectors. who Jew, They were Jewish men who were tax collectors collecting taxes for the Romans from the Jews, so they were considered traitors, and they were also well known for padding the taxes and keeping the extra money. So they weren't liked. But this is what they say, Master, what shall we do? Now, what does that demonstrate? Well, think about what the Apostle Paul said when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Remember what he said? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Do you know what that question demonstrates? A change of heart. Because before, Saul did what Saul wanted to do. Now he's asking, Lord, and he dressed him as Lord. In other words, you have the right to lead, to govern my life, because you are the Lord. And Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And this is what the publicans are asking. And he baptized the publicans. And he baptized soldiers. Notice it goes on and says, and he says to the, notice what he says to the publicans. He said unto them, nothing wrong with being a tax collector, but exact no more than that which is appointed you. In other words, you charge only the tax that you're supposed to. You don't fleece. You don't overcharge. You don't pad the tax. They were being paid to be a tax collector, so they were not to take char- or charge more than what the tax actually was. Taxes are a debt. We're to pay them. And then he says, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, this, in other words, that word, think about that word demanded. You know, they really wanted to know, what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, those were things that tax collectors and soldiers usually didn't do. We're not characteristic of them. Unless, but see, these questions demonstrate a change of heart. A change of mind. That what they're really saying is, I'm no longer the one that's governing my own, I'm not governing my own life. I want to do what the Lord, what pleases the Lord. That's evidence of repentance. And so, you know, again, Christ receives, you know, he has the authority, and, and when one truly repents and they are accepted into the kingdom, he shuts the door. They can't get out. They will not get out. But if one refuses to repent, of course, they are shut out. And so he has the final say. He has the keys. He has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He also has the keys of death and hell. He is the judge. He's the one that openeth, and no man shutteth. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, the door will be open, and he will receive you, and no man can shut that door. But if you don't come his way, the door will be shut, and you will not be able to open it until you come his way. You know, it's imperative for us then that we give the truth to people. 
we're not to sugarcoat it, change it to make it more palatable. We need to give people the truth because he is truth.